Welcome to Radio Survivor, here for the love of radio and sound. On today's show, we're going to talk about CDs. Paul Reismandel is going to tell us why 2019 is not the year to throw away your compact discs. And then later in the show, I hope you can forgive me because this part makes me feel very silly, two men in their 40s are going to interview a person in their early 20s, a music lover who is um, roughly the same age as the MP3 music format. Um, we're going to interview that person on their thoughts and feelings regarding the old-fashioned physical media of compact discs. Well, Paul, first I wanted to talk about last week's episode because I owe the listeners a correction, but really I'm using the correction as an excuse to celebrate again Irish Pirate Radio and last week's episode because it really was... In many ways, it was so jam-packed with content about the history of Irish Pirate Radio that it didn't give you and I an opportunity to talk about all of the connections that were I was making to everything we've learned about, you know, Pirate Radio in the United States yes. and why it exists. It's almost it's it's almost a microcosm in that way because it is a situation in which people took to unlicensed radio because in Ireland, in this in case, Ireland from roughly the late 70s through to 1988, because they were enormously underserved mm -hmm. by the predominant broadcaster and only broadcaster, which yeah. is the state broadcaster, RTE, which provided like two or three channels of service. At first, it was one. And then, as I understand it, and you know, we'll be corrected if I'm wrong, but as I understand it, because of Pirate Radio coming in and, and providing rock music and pop music to the Irish audience, RTE, the state broadcaster, brought in a second channel of rock music in 1979, I think is what Brian Green told us. Yeah, and we learned that, that there wasn't much service to local communities. There, was there no, wasn't much service to the uh, Irish-speaking, the Gaelic-speaking yeah. population. There was no community radio. There, no there was community no, radio. There was no access to the airwaves for youth and, and community and members to do community like a major radio. political party had a pirate radio station. So, yeah, so much pirate radio in Ireland, and we spoke about it for over an hour with Brian Green and John Walsh of the Irish Pirate Radio archive, and it was really one of the uh, one of my favorite episodes. Definitely one of my favorite episodes of 2019. But I really think it's going to go down in my top ten for quite some time of Radio Survivors' work, just because it was what a microcosm. It it showed and, and us everything we already unknown. loved about radio, right? Unknown for unknown our brains outside of Ireland yeah. for the most part. And maybe you know known to some people in the UK and and continental Europe because they actually could hear these signals. Sure. But, but mostly unknown in the United yeah, States. And I mean, this is something I've made study of. And, and, and right. that's why I'm also like, wow, somehow for looking at pirate radio for more than 20 years myself, this is something that evaded me. And the I should say, time. so go listen to that episode instead of listening to us talk about episode it. Episode number 178 at radiosurvivor.com. The most incredible fact, in addition to all of these pirates doing uh, political work and work in the Irish language and Gaelic and doing work... Uh, you know, community radio, there were these enormous pirate radio stations that were, in fact, just successful commercial radio stations operating illegally. Right, right. And that was the the history of pirate radio uh, features all of these things all packed into one episode. And that's all leading up to the fact that I, Eric Klein, the editor of this podcast, uh, or, you know, I should say audio editor of this podcast, oh, the listeners a correction. Um, many listeners would have heard a clip of a radio station being shut down in 1988, but it was mislabeled. So I'm going to play you the clip. 
that some portion of our listening audience heard identify, well, I won't identify it. I won't misidentify it. What you're about to hear is one of our guests, actually, Brian Green, but way back in 1988 as a DJ shutting down a station, a station known as Center Radio, which was uh, described by our guests in an email to me as a small amateur operation run by a bunch of kids. Well, um, they said it's the last day or something there, and uh, we were led to believe they were staying on the air. Well, as we get details on other stations, we'll bring it to you. This station's closing down midnight tonight. Here's level 42 and Lessons in Love. I'd like to thank you all for listening to this station over the last 10 months on this project and for all the people who stayed with us from the early days of June 86 from Big Beat Radio. And we used to play this one a lot. I'd like to thank everybody for listening and being great sports. So again, that's the voice of a young Brian Green, the guest on last week's episode of Radio Survivor, uh, closing down a radio station a, uh, in 1988. What you should have heard, and what I think a majority of our listeners did hear, although, man, it's fascinating wondering... About a third got the corrected so far. As near as we can tell. It basically, um, it went out into the feed for an hour. And it also went out to our radio affiliates. Yeah, and so as many, as many people as got that uh, first hour of the podcast before it was switched over to I the corrected the version. It's about a third. Oh, Paul knows uh, the facts. About a third of listeners so far have got the corrected version. But this is what you should have heard. This is the clip, as was described by John Walsh and Brian Green, of the radio station Nova pretending to close down, having a publicity stunt closing in 1983. Tonight at six o'clock sees what could be the end of the most exciting period in the history of broadcasting in Ireland, when Radio Nova goes off the air. Despite the fact that the overwhelming majority of people in this country want the right to choose what station they listen to, those in power still deny that right. There are many ways you can show your support. Telephone your TD at Doyle Aaron. Write to your TD. Remember, you don't need to put a stamp on the envelope. And tonight at six o'clock, Come to the headquarters of Radio Nova at 19 Herbert Street and show your solidarity. If you can't get to Herbert Street, then at 6 o'clock, blow your car horn and blow it long and loud. The answer is in your hands. Don't let us down. So again, that's footage of Nova, a pirate radio station in Ireland, a massively successful uh, operating Basically as a commercial, like a commercial station. It's like pop the Kiss radio. FM of Ireland. Pretending to shut down in 1983 and demanding that listeners mount a massively successful campaign, a political campaign out in the open. That's what's so funny about this clip. It just shows how uh, out of the shadows Pirate Radio was in Ireland, that they're like, write to your write to your politicians, honk your horns, you know, get out into the street, fight for your radio. So quite a delightful contrast between and those two And we've seen clips. those types of tactics used for stations in the U.S., especially during the period uh, of the late 90s when there were community radio stations operating above ground, unlicensed, before there was uh, low-power FM, so they right. really couldn't get a license, and they were activists, and they, and they sometimes would converge on city councils, and listeners would really, would really act out. And often, they had support of city councils in places like Brattleboro, Vermont, or Santa Cruz, California, or even uh, San Francisco Liberation Radio. Um, so you had kind of small versions of that, but, but yeah. none with this sort of reach, because Radio Nova was like a 50,000-watt station uh, reaching well into 
the UK, Wales, and continental Europe. Yeah, just a really wonderful uh, similarity between the two worlds of pirate radio, the 90s version, which was a smaller and more uh, local community and oriented. And focused really on low in power. In the United States. Yeah. And, and in Ireland, they're just focused on give us private radio, give us something yeah. besides the RTE, really. Um, uh, fascinating stuff. That is episode number 178. If you haven't heard it, look in your podcast feed if you're a subscriber. Yeah. Otherwise, go to radiosurvivor.com slash podcast. I want to point out there is some bonus content that we have made available to supporters of Radio Survivor. Learn more about that, of course. You'll see a post there at radiosurvivor.com where you can learn uh, more about some of the the, the transmitters, some of the, the real nerdy tech, as well as the radio conference, hist- radio history That's conference right. that catalyzed the formation of the Irish Pirate Radio Archive, all at radiosurvivor.com. Yeah, we had about an 88-minute long conversation yeah. that had to get cut down to, to fit into what Radio Survivors become as a radio show. I'd love for everyone to hear that. Now, Paul, it's time for us to talk about compact discs. Perhaps... One of the most viral things I've written in quite some time. <laughs> and here's the thing about compact discs. You are not coming... I wanted to like have a disclaimer, I'm pretty sure. Before we start you know, selling America or Radio Survivor listeners on the concept of uh, you got to get back into CDs, what are you thinking? You're, a, you are not coming at this from the vinyl audiophile point of view of like, don't get rid of your records because they are the best. They're the no, great I'm, not, I'm making format. no wonderful argument that CDs are the best thing right. since sliced bread. And B, uh, I wanted just to, I needed to make sure that everyone understood that we understand that some people live in small places or they move a lot. I think one of the best reasons to abandon a CD collection was just, uh, you know, living in an apartment. Yeah. You have to make a choice. So we understand that some people can't keep their CDs around. But that being said, I, I published an article called 10 Reasons Why CDs Are Still Awesome, in parentheses, especially for radio. And the crux is this. I've been reading a lot in the last year in the press, a lot of shade being thrown at the compact disc. And this is this, I, I tend to chalk it up to what I call tech triumphalism. And it's this pernicious thread I often see, especially in tech press, but also in popular press, mm-hmm. where, you know, we have to declare fails. This is Failed technology. Yeah, it's always really fun to look back at something that was super popular 15 years ago and just like laugh at Americans. Right. Ha ha, you had mini discs? Yeah. What a fool you were. And I see this being thrown at CDs and, you know, because sales are down, as one might guess. And, and the, 25, extent, the $25 compact disc is not, yeah, that's not coming back. That era, and maybe it shouldn't come back, yeah. right? That era is over. Sales are, are are on the downslide because people stream music much more so. Uh, to some extent, they buy digital downloads, although those are down as well. Sure. Uh, vinyl sales continue to go up year by year. Because it sounds so good. Because for all sorts of reasons, mm-hmm. I think. I don't even want to get into the reason because yeah. this is not a vinyl versus wrong, CD wrong argument. podcast, yeah. I have tons of vinyl. I love it. Um, I also have mounds and mounds of cds because you can fit more cds into the same space as as records um because i've been collecting them for decades and many i think many people have and what i want to say to people is not oh go run out and buy cds it is well if you have them don't throw them away if you don't need to yeah the idea here is that just because it's old technology and it's no longer predominant right and and really there's no way cds could have gone up 
from the year 2000 when when music sales were basically hitting their absolute peak in the United States and worldwide um when there was no competition from streaming there was no competition right. from vinyl to speak up or cassettes it was the way you consume music there's no way that could have continued to go up really so the only way you can go is down and my point is it is one of almost it's almost it's almost like uh, conservation here yeah exactly that there's definitely still a use for some of these discs especially it, for radio people mm-hmm. Uh, especially for DJs and community stations. But also, of course, most of Michael Jackson's catalog is you know, always going to be available on all of the different streams, and Led Zeppelin's catalog is always going to be available. Un- until his estate decides that right. Spotify isn't paying them enough. But I've already encountered this where I've, I have a couple tracks that were my favorite things to listen to on my uh, I Have a Spotify account, and they're gone. They're gone. I'm rushing out to see if I can find them on compact disc. Because these things are contractual. So I can hold them. It's the same. I think we're going to see more of this. Yeah. And, and, and many people, they right. listen to a Spotify on the free plan or they listen to Pandora on a free plan or they listen to music on YouTube without paying any subscription price. And I think you're going to see much more so albums are going to come and go. Songs are going to come and go right. out of these through various contractual uh, machinations as one label or one artist uh, gets in a fight with one company or another one or signs up with another one for exclusivity or, or something like that. And here's the thing. If you buy a CD, it is yours forever. Yeah, as long as you don't lose it. Right? But that's that's the thing. That's anything, right? Right. You know, that's a book. <laughs> that that That's anything. As long as you keep it, it is yours forever. They can't take that music away from you. And... Every other format that we have right now, besides, say, vinyl or a cassette, you're you're essentially you're renting that music. Yeah. And and I have a, a, a music subscription as well for streaming. I use Tidal. Uh, but and I know that I'm renting that music and I know that maybe my access to it is provisional. Yeah, And it could it could be a decade. That's the funny part is that you, you can have access to this stuff for be. a long time before it goes away. But when it goes away. It could go fast. <laughs> and besides the provisionalness of streaming, right? I knew a lot of folks, not so much uh, recently, but 10 years ago, I actually knew a lot of folks who were rebuying a lot of their music collection on, say, the iTunes store because they had iPods and it seemed to them the easiest way to bulk up their music collection in some ways less with less effort was to just go to the iTunes store and buy rebuy these albums. Right now, and that's in that case, you have you know this MP3 file, this AAC file, or some sort of music file, and 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 yes, that file is yours. However, it's only as good as the last hard drive you put it on. Yeah. If you had everything linked onto one particular hard drive, and that hard drive crashes, well, there it goes bye bye. You can lose a CD, but you lose one album. Right. It's much harder to lose a hundred or two hundred or a thousand CDs. It's possible. But for the average person, it's going to take absolute calamity for there to be that type of loss. You know this Whereas it's of? very easy to drop a hard drive and see your whole music collection go kablooey. This it's philosophically, metaphorically adjacent to uh, another idea that that you've that you've often repeated and supported on Radio Survivor about um, making sure that the that the work that you do online, uh, you save it. This is and it's on your own platform. 
that yeah. you don't you don't give everything that you wrote to Tumblr or Facebook or Facebook or, or to Google or to Twitter, and you don't give um, you don't give your entire radio show to to Mixcloud or SoundCloud or YouTube. Hold on to those files. Yeah, or, Lib- you, or even Libsyn for that case. You know, like all, all of these provisional. things. Yeah. They're all provisional. And even if you're paying for a service, as you often do for a podcast, you will actually be paying them for that. And and I'm look, these companies, they're probably, you know, like like the podcast hosting companies, they mean to be here. They intend to be Their here. Their goal is stability. Their goal is stability, but you have no control over that. And, and any company at any time can turn around tomorrow and say, well, we're sorry, you know, we're shutting down in 90 days because we've run out of money. We're no longer profitable. We've seen it happen. We've seen it happen. We've been bought by somebody else and they no longer think this part of our business is useful. Right. Uh, this can happen. And so keeping your copies of this, uh, of your files, of your writing, of your podcasts on the hard drives, onto, onto CDRs, really, frankly, is a great way to do it. How funny. They're yeah. not, uh, nothing, nothing is ironclad nothing is unbreakable nothing is unlosable but the more copies you have the more likely you are to retain always, something you know being a, a a product of my time period a gen x millennial i always thought that there would be another better than compact disc version of physical media that would come next to hold there isn't things. really for consumers there is yeah there is in the professional world to hold on to our stuff because hard drives uh, spin too fast it's crazy they they well, can just and, spin and like, right away and, and then or they're, like they're SD gone cards like that right. kind of memory as well is volatile it is not it simply is not going to last forever where is where's the crystal quartz of my entire you know i mean you know what they use work. in data centers is tape, hmm. tape. <laughs> and tape is not forever but tape uh, in many ways is lasts a long time and can hold a lot of data. But ultimately uh, what has turned out to be the solution is that you just keep making copies. You just keep making copies. Yeah. Don't let that stuff get too dusty, you know, and you know, in the paper world, you lose things or coffee gets spilled on it or, you know, we, we lose things. And I, and, and I, and you know, if you had a record, it gets scratched or you loan it to somebody that never returned it. Uh, your three-year-old takes a crayon and a, and a spoon to it, you know, sure stuff disappears. I'm not expecting there to be uh, foreverness, mm-hmm. but if we're talking about, you know, the majority of your collection, the majority of your work, the things that are special to you, it's good to hold on to them. And I think the same thing can be said of, of a music collection in, in, in that way. You know, and the thing is, is I think that people out there, they have CDs, right? I, I've often talked with folks. They're like, oh, in my storage unit, yeah. in my garage, in, in, you know, in my in my friend's attic or my parents' attic, you know, I have my CDs and they're and they're sort of listening to online music, you know, in, it's so in, in much easier. Place. And I look, yeah. I'm not arguing against the convenience. I'm not walking around with a disc man these days. Right. I have a smartphone. I listen to music on smartphones. I have a Sono system in my house that I listen to online music. Yeah. And I, and yet sometimes I go buy CDs. I just west, recently went to the Amoeba Superstore in Hollywood, California, and spent some money on CDs, mostly buying things that I know are not available for streaming. And because oh yeah, well you have a smartphone in your pocket, so right. you can look it up checking. while you're in the so store. So what what kind of treasure, physical media, did you uh, get your hands on that is not available? On this massive thing we call the internet, small box set from Wire, The Wire, which is a uh, music magazine out of, mm, mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. the UK that specializes in sort of experimental avant-garde music. They put out a box set 
early 2000s of things that have been featured in their magazine. Um, that was one thing I got. I got... Uh, it's like re- kind of like an anthology from this very special... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, That's usually what I find to be the hardest to obtain on, you know, a Spotify or anywhere. It's these, you know, it's where the license is sort of scattered to the winds. And yeah. You, you know... And Amoeba's smart. They actually have sections and they put stickers on that say out of print. Yeah. So there's, I mean, they're an enormous superstore if you've never been there. Um, But of course, I was there on a Saturday and the place was jam-packed. And more than half of the place is dedicated, their their main music floor, more than half is dedicated to CD still. It is not all vinyl. Um, And it's because that's where that's the most stuff that's out there. And certainly, you know, often, you know, you had to sort of navigate around people who are busy digging through the bins. And it's also a place, and, and you know, I see the same trend, not just in Amoeba. This is not an Amoeba uh, advertisement. Lots of record stores or even store thrift stores and such. Um, tons and tons and tons of CDs if you want to get into music for like a dollar or it's two. Pretty, it's pretty funny. You major know, albums from major artists. I have, if you were to go look online to go buy the right. MP3, you would pay $9 or $10 or $12 and you can buy the CD for a single dollar. Yeah, if listeners want to be my friend, I'll give you my personal map of uh, the city of Portland, of everywhere <laughs> where CDs are available for sale and what they generally will cost and what you can expect to pay for them. And and what we've forgotten is that that is actually, I think, in part what's what sort of sparked the vinyl revival was the fact that vinyl reached a, a, a sort of bottoming out of pricing, that music lovers discovered they could go out right. 50, and spend 50 cents, 50 cents a dollar and get a and great get record a yeah. record that still sounded really good find out of print items for a fraction of what the cd would cost at the time and over time as new generations got into it and and uh, you know some labels especially independent labels realized well we're still selling these records wait a second uh it sort of now is back up of course now it's it's, it's less the case that you can get yeah, the records that I bought for a dollar fifteen or twenty years ago, um, well, I, I often sell for many times that and uh, that's, used. And that's the argument to uh, you know, if if you so desire, you have our permission, radio survivors, to go get some CDs because the price might even go up from a dollar or well, two dollars. Especially, I mean, I think if you have rare CDs, yeah. you have things that are out of print. And here's the thing: not you available can't to stream. Sell your MP3s. You you when you buy an MP3, you don't really own it. You're really just licensing it. Yeah. You can't turn around and say, "Well, I'm tired of that album, and I could use some extra change to help pay my rent this month. Let me hock it." You can't hock that MP3. It's illegal. But there is something in copyright law called the first sale doctrine, and it's for any kind of physical media, which includes like a book, a record, CD. That when you buy it, it's yours. DVDs. Yep. It's yours, and you may sell that. That you can't sell a copy of it. You may not bootleg it, right. but you may sell uh, the actual item itself. And so, if you're tired of the album, it turns out you didn't like it. Uh, it's not necessarily entirely lost. You may be able to get a few bucks back on that. I just we keep seeing examples of the the great the great you know good cloud of media. It just is not always what it was uh, promised. Right. And having a physical copy. That we copy, wouldn't have everything all the time everywhere. Yeah, having a physical copy of the thing you like. The hard part is figuring out what you like. That's actually one of my favorite things about physical media is having a physical representation of your music, mm-hmm. in this case, and knowing. Sometimes with liner notes. Yeah, sometimes so with lyrics. Notes. But also just knowing, like, I'm going to put this one on the top 
of the stack and I'm going to put this one far away in the bottom and the physical act of uh, moving it around in, in our real life space here outside of the internet, outside of our computers, I still think is valuable, especially if uh, you're the kind of person who's spinning records at a radio station. Well, and let's go to radio because I think CDs are still really great for radio because they are uncompressed. They are not MP3s. Right. No information has been taken away. So they are about as good of sound as you can get on the radio. And good vinyl can often sound very good on the radio as well. The problem often in a college or community radio station is the care and upkeep and maintenance and adjustment of turntables so that they will sound good and the records being clean and all of that. They will sound better than MP3s. I have seen too many times in college or community stations people streaming things, stuff from YouTube, yeah. which can often sound just terrible because they're on, real on the low, radio. low quality and, and when you then are going into the internet stream you're re-encoding an mp3 into another mp3 or a youtube stream into another youtube stream it's a lot of little sparkly digital fairy yeah, you get that real like gurgly underwater sound yeah. and so you're really compromising the sound of your uh of what you're putting out on on the internet and you know if you're dealing with some really nicely sourced MP3s or digital files, often it's fine. You won't notice a difference. But I've heard so many examples, yeah. even in the last half a year, of what was clearly a terrible MP3 being played out over the air that was, that to me, in many ways, unlistenable. And I said, well, if you just had the CD, you wouldn't be running into this trouble. And then people say, well, I don't have a CD player. Where do I get a CD player? And I'm like, well, do you have a DVD player? Do you have a Blu-ray player? You have a CD player. It's not like cassette decks or even like turntables. It's very easy to get a device yeah. new, if you like, or used that will play a CD. For now. For now. Until, I mean, until is, someone uh, figures out that the entire uh, world is provisional. That is it they not? wanted more. You know, what's so funny is just how many. Um, but but in, in the year 2019, it's, it's less every day, I'm sure. But there's so many CD drives that used to be a part of a of a desktop tower computer, those things used to be like hundreds know, of dollars. But, and also, but like as, as common as, as yeah. pigeon poop, like and there's yet, just everywhere, you know, like a little USB one, I mean, barely costs anything. And if, and so you can sit there and say, well, I want to listen to my music in the car. I want to listen to it on my phone. Sure. Uh, just about every operating system has CD ripping software built into it. So rip your CD, put the CD somewhere nice and safe, stick it, you know, listen to your MP3s. And then when that hard drive dies or you lose that phone or, you know, that computer dies and you don't know what to do, you can go back and you can rip it again. And that's perfectly reasonable and completely legal for you to do that for your own personal use. These are just some of the reasons <laughs> why I think CDs are still awesome and that if you have a CD collection, you should listen to it and you shouldn't be out rebuying your music. If you bought it once, you own it. That's that's maybe the... Uh, the, the How interesting. I didn't know people were doing that. People have been doing... I mean, that's that drove the uh, music industry for a good portion of the uh, late 80s and early 90s was people rebuying their records on CD. Oh, well, that, that I was aware of. But, but people... Just no, people I buying knew, MP3 versions of their Because CDs. they're just like, oh, this is easier, yeah. right? Because it was one click away. Sure. It was one click away, and they just would say, well, you know, sure, I got the, the Eagles Greatest Hits CD, and now I... But I also bought it from... 
the iTunes store. Well, Paul, you wrote about uh, reasons why CDs are still awesome, especially for radio, on radiosurvivor.com. If, if, if listeners want to, to, to get the full logical breakdown of all of your arguments, if they, have any, uh, if they think we left anything out or if there's anything they disagree with uh, forcefully, they should at least be sure to read Paul's uh, rundown, first of all, of his arguments about why, why CDs are still awesome. And then, and then please uh, reach out to us, podcast at radiosurvivor.com, to let us know what you think. Has, have you gotten any feedback yet from this you uh, know, semi-viral um, post? You know, I, I, there was some traffic on our Facebook page. Uh-huh. And, uh, I left Facebook recently. There was nobody who, who – no one really argued with, with the fundamental premise. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least one person pointed out that to some extent it's harder to get broadcast quality CD players for a radio station oh. any longer. Mm. And the key is actually they're still for sale and they're still being made. And I, I certainly learned in the last 10 years that they're not necessarily as high a quality as they once were. Oh, fascinating. The ones we'd had at the radio station I was working at uh, about six years ago uh, needed to repair more often. They yeah. didn't seem to be up to the rigors. And at one radio station I used to work at, um, we just used consumer players, and sometimes yeah. they were actually more sturdy. So that I can understand that particular point of view. Um you know, I think that that's probably the uh, most of mostly I got a lot of people. Most of the responses were positive. And they're and just like, shared. yeah, we wish we wish we could keep the CD thing going, but it's getting harder. It's harder to pull off at a radio station. Yeah. Or yeah, exactly. And then, you know, plenty of people, I think, feeling like, gosh, do I, you know, I think people start to feel like, oh, does this mean I need to dump my CDs? Because people start feeling the fear like, oh, they're obsolete uh. now. Does that mean, wait, I should get rid of them? Am I a fool for holding on to them? So I think sometimes people hearing someone say, no, you're not an idiot for holding on to your CDs. Yeah. Like, you're, you're not a Luddite and you're not stuck in the 90s. Um, there, there are good reasons people just want to hear that sometimes. And I think I've heard a lot of right. responses. That's like interesting. That. Up next on Radio Survivor, we're going to speak with audio engineer Jacob Choplin. Jacob comes to us by way of our friend uh, and Radio Survivor co-founder Jennifer Waits, who has a regular music show on KFJC, a radio station there in Northern California, uh, where Jennifer met Jacob. I worked at KFJC from the time, uh, Jennifer's radio station, from the time I was 16 to around 20. And our interview with Jacob today is going to focus on what a person in their early 20s, in this case a 23-year-old individual, how do they think about the compact disc media format, CDs. I remember the first CD I saw. It was uh, an album of Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. It was probably like 1987. Yeah, it was probably 1987. I was 10 years old. I thought it was really cool. You know, I spent a lot of time with it. That for a long time, that copy of Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band on compact disc was the only compact disc that I had access to, and so I listened to it. Well, it was a, it was a monument of its time. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was very exciting that the Beatles right. had been released on CD, and mm-hmm. the, people. We're often saying, oh, my goodness, I can hear things on Sgt. Pepper's in particular, you know, right. because it's known for its intricate production, right. that I never heard on the LP. And in particular, certain releases of the LP had a lock groove at the end of the second side. 
yeah. at, at the end of Day in a Life, <laughs> there's this like da 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 da, and it just locked yeah. it would play forever. Oh, yeah, and yeah, yeah. and on the CD they left that in, but of course it can't play forever, uh-huh. so you only hear yeah. it for its actual recorded time. Huh. Well, yeah. and that so that's that compact disc, right? Is the is the the beginning of all compact discs, and so that's how my generation interacted with this you know, music technology, uh, and now everything moving, you know, like I still will chase after CDs based on their price in the early nineties. Like I'm like, Oh, this is such a steal. Like I went to, I was, Paul and I just completed a, a, a brief conversation about CDs and he doesn't even know. I went to target the other day randomly and was just like sort of gobsmacked that there's like new CDs now are four bucks. 478 at Target. Oh, wow, really? Yeah, and I was like, well, this is sad, but also... Well, they're catalog releases, Yeah, right? exactly. They're not, they're, they're not uh, current uh, releases. Okay. Yeah, but yeah, still, I, in the plastic. I, I, know, I know today you can, you know, still you buying CDs from a lot of the underground bands that, you know, I listen to and stuff like that. You know, they're still 20 bucks, you know. They're not, like insanely cheap like i guess walmart or target sells them <laughs> not if you're getting uh you know an early garth brooks cd uh, Jacob, yeah can you tell us you, you mentioned there you're buying cds still and you're saying so you're buying mm-hmm. them from from underground bands so why why are you buying cds from these bands tell us more well sometimes it can be a price thing and sometimes it's Pretty, it's either it might just be the only available medium, and I'd prefer to buy vinyl, but you know, I'd you know can be hesitant being in my early twenties, dropping forty dollars on a you know, <laughs> on a on a on a piece of vinyl just and, and, and just to get it. That's amazing to me uh, because uh, as a child of the eighties and nineties, when CDs came out. They were significantly more expensive than vinyl, mm-hmm. um, even though quickly that no longer represented the actual cost of manufacture. Like yes. by, the, by the time we were well into the 90s, vinyl cost more than manufacture, but it was still cheaper to buy the vinyl than the CD. Yeah. And now it, it is reversed and, and vinyl records, which you know, became, became rare for a time, uh, cost yes. $30, $40 for a single album and the CD will cost a fraction of that 10 or $20. So that's an interesting flip to me. Uh, Why would you prefer to have the vinyl? Um, I guess, you know, it's more of an artisan thing. You get bigger pictures on the vinyl, you know, you get the full, uh, if you get a gatefold, get the full effect and you know, the, uh, the insert is always much more detail and I just like having the physical media itself. And, you know, I'm a big proponent of analog. So the fact that if it's, you know, d- done from tape and all that is just one continuous analog signal. And I'm a big fan of that. And you're a big fan of it because it, do you think it sounds better? I like the idea of analog. It's, you know, it's, it's more fun to work with from my perspective and yeah, I like the sound of analog. And you're a sound engineer, so this is so yeah. you know. You say when I work with it, you like to work with the actual. You like to work with the tape and and, and the analog process there. Yeah, so. it's more physical, more visceral. And and going back to the CDs, 
you yeah. know, so you're buying CDs from often from independent artists, underground artists. I mean, can't you just uh, get their files from Bandcamp? I mean, it seems like most bands now work through like a Bandcamp or some online service where you can very easily get uh, an MP3 or even sometimes a, a fully uh, uncompressed like wave file or FLAC file. Yeah. Um, but are you still preferring to CD in that case? I wonder. I, I like having physical media. It's nice to have around. Uh, you know, it's nice to actually hold something. You know, I very rarely buy just an MP3 or, you know, any digital format out there. I will, I prefer to just get the, uh, you know, with Bandcamp, get the CD or disc or a, or a vinyl from them and I'll have the, the wave file uh, off of Bandcamp, and I have both, you know, one's for convenience, the other's for actually wanting to sit down and listen. So there's a difference there, and, and just for people who may not be aware, unlike a Bandcamp, and this is also true of Amazon, uh, often, well, that you buy the physical media and you get the files just gratis as, as, as an inclusion. So, uh, you know, you have both. You don't even have to do the ripping yourself, right? You get the files. Yeah. And, and you said you want the files for convenience. And then I guess so when you listen to the CD or the vinyl, is, is it a different kind of listening experience? Oh, definitely. I'll put it on my stereo. I'll sit down and actually listen to it and, um, you know, have it on a nice hi-fi stereo sitting in my room listening to it where with MP3, it's just, or MP3 or digital format, that's like a on-the-go sort of deal. On the phone, listening over headphones, maybe in the car, something like that. Yeah. Now, you have a stereo. <laughs> it seems yes. that, that very often you right. know, that that is something, and, and this is I don't think that this is just folks who are under the age of, of, of 35. In general, I know so many people who no longer have stereos often replaced by Sometimes now a smart speaker, like an Alexa device. Yeah, or just their phone. Or just their phone yeah. or a Bluetooth speaker. Um, why do you have a stereo? Do you so so you have like is it do you have like two speakers and, and a CD player and a turntable and an amplifier, like the whole kind of rack that somebody might have had fifteen yep, years ago? The whole shebang. The whole shebang. Well, I, and I want to ask you, Jacob, to sort of like what do your friends think? Of your, I mean, because I mean that's rare now, as as near as we. Yeah, is it, is our perception correct? Yeah, actually, no, it is not. Um, my girlfriend uh, has a stereo. My, uh, um, you know, a lot of my friends have stereos. Granted, I'm in a very odd world, being an audio engineer. Um, so you know, you're but, friends with people who are in bands and love music. Yeah, and so. A lot of them have stereos, like to sit down and listen to music, and but we all tend to, you know, do the same thing of we put on a record to sit down and listen to it, or if we're in our rooms working or something and we just want to put on music rather than using a smart speaker, we'll put on a record or a CD, and we have our first stuff we don't have physical copies of. We have aux inputs to our, you know, systems that we just plug our computer. Into. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is wonderful. And I, I want to know, is your stereo, does this, did you, 
did you go and source this from like thrift stores or did you go to an actual electronic store and get one? How are, how are, how are folks? Cause stereos, it's not like it used to be, you would go in to like even, even a department store um, and, and it would have a stereo section. So even at, at, at like a Macy's, there would be yeah. amplifiers and speakers and all this stuff all over the place. And that's much less common these days. Even how, at Best Buy, the shelf is getting Yeah, even at the smaller. electronic store, it's getting smaller and smaller. Uh, how did you go about assembling your stereo system? For me personally, since I'm looking for more of a, you know, a hi-fi stereo that's actually, you know, got really nice components in it, I source a lot of my stuff from online and also through a couple stores that I know that are a little bit more boutique for buying speakers and buying amps and turntables. But, you know, for friends of mine will just go to a thrift store and pick up a pair of speakers and their stereo sounds perfectly acceptable. And we, you, there's a lot of good stuff in thrift stores, but you know, it's like amps and components like that. You know, we tend to buy from online or buy kits and make it ourselves. Buy kits and make it yourself. <laughs> so we, is this yeah. 1970, 1975 or 2018 where you're warming, you're warming my heart, Jake? That's so funny. Yeah. We, you know, Paul Reese Mandel, lover of stereo equipment, may have thought, uh, you know, two hours ago that, that young people under the age of 30 uh, didn't, I didn't buy stereos. I didn't think so, anymore. but I, I also tended to think, Jacob, and maybe you can correct my perception, that it seems like um, headphone listening, like like super high fi <laughs> headphone listening. Yeah. No, not just yeah. earbuds, but, but you know, very high quality headphone listening and the and little amplifiers to go with them and, and, and digital uh, to analog converters. That seems to be something which has gotten pretty popular amongst uh, young people who are very much into music. Is, is is my perception correct? Yeah, that's true for when we, for example, want a little bit more of a private listening experience. You know, like, so, you know, you're in a house share and yeah. some people are doing work, some people are asleep. You put on your headphones, you have your nice little headphone amplifier and you can do that and drop a good amount of money on some good headphones which I'm definitely guilty of spending way too much money on headphones. <laughs> <laughs> That's what your 20s so are for. You, you've spent more money on headphones than on compact discs then I'm, I'm getting. Oh, yes. <laughs> so, and, and were, you, were you always into physical media, CD and vinyl, um, or is this something you've come to? Well, I grew up in an uh, audiophile family. Ah. You know, definitely in an audiophile family. You know, my dad had speakers that you know like these five foot tall speakers that i grew up next to my whole life and kind of gauged my my age by the how tall i got against the speaker and stuff like that and um so i grew up in a hi-fi family and i definitely remember you know my dad buying from um mobile fidelity sound lab the the they sold these like special you know, half mastered discs. Oh, on so they the were disc. the super high fi vinyl where they, when they, yeah. when they duplicated it from the tape, they played the tape yeah. at half speed okay. and recorded at half speed onto the record. And then they put out CDs that would have had a, that a gold layer because gold doesn't oxidize. Yeah. And yeah, you know, I remember my dad, my dad having those, but also I grew up, you know, in the era where I, it's kind of like towards the end of the cassette era as well. You know, so I remember cassettes just kind of being there as well. Do you and collect cassettes? Do you listen to cassettes? 
I think cassettes are just a pain in the ass, and I hate things that are just released on cassettes. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I realize that. Yeah, I, I notice that there are artists uh, who do that, now. and like a pain in the ass because because they they break too easy and they're impossible to get to the next track, and also they don't sound as good. I don't care so much about the getting to the next track thing. Mm-hmm. I listen to vinyl. I understand that, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I'm still a proponent. I'm an odd one out here I in my generation I'm still a proponent of listening to the full album all the way through uh-huh. you know, I don't like just cherry picking songs but that's interesting because I think again conventional wisdom is that young you know that and, and it's probably five year old conventional wisdom now it's, it's, it's fading it's phasing out but that cassettes were supposed to be more popular than CDs well they were at one point yeah definitely or, and they, or that yeah. they are now you mean i mean like in yeah the 2012 trend piece oh. is that cassettes are back yes. and cds are gone and, and and no that's not even remotely true not not from well, any I number standpoint say, or anything i would say cassettes are being made more mm-hmm. cds are on their way out mm-hmm. but um, you're, you're a sound that, engineer it's it's easier as a band isn't it to get a CD made than just about any other sort of physical media, right? Because you can duplicate it both as a CDR and often there are local local companies in most cities that will do that for you and print it up nicely. Or you can send it out and get it done or you can send it out and have it actually like like pressed, you know. And, and, you know. Yeah. But so it seems to me that, you know, even if you're an independent band, getting a few hundred or a hundred CDs made is still probably the easiest thing for you to do besides put it up for download. Oh, absolutely, and you'll have them next week. <laughs> right, and you know? yeah, with vinyl, you could be waiting for months because yeah. the pressing plants are all filled up because mo- ah. most of them shut down. Right, and they're so, only now just coming back online. So even so, even as a, I didn't even think about this. I've been thinking about CDs as a consumer of of music. It never yeah, occurred that, to me that as was a, point number eleven in my top as 10 a list. creator of music. That it's that it's really still the best way to yeah, to and if you wanted to burn your, your own CDs as yeah. well, uh, you know, going to be easier and cheaper than than the actual cassettes because CDRs are still about uh, maybe eighteen cents each, and a cassette will run you uh, closer to a dollar each if you just want to make them yourself. Okay, so Jacob, what was the last CD you bought? Uh, Bellwitch, uh, Four Phantoms. Bellwitch. What is what is it? Yeah. What what genre would you assign Bellwitch? Uh, melodic funeral doom. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a metalhead, so uh, that's why I cackle because I love the fractured subgenrefication of metal. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely! It's excellent. Melodic it's hilarious. Funeral, funeral doom. I wanted, that's what I want to play us out. Us <laughs> the melodic funeral doom. Yeah, is <laughs> and is a uh, melodic funeral doom available on Spotify? Uh, yeah, they actually are. Okay, good. <laughs> and so why'd you buy the CD? Um, because I wanted the physical media, Yeah. actually. You know, I like, as I said, I like having the physical media. I'm not a fan of Spotify because it doesn't pay its artists well. I heard you mention Spotify, so yeah. I don't use Spotify. Hmm. I prefer to buy my music and have it. Well, our thanks again to Jacob Choplin uh, for dropping in and being a part of our Radio Survivor uh, uh, community and, and sharing a little bit about. And and also, you know, it's so funny. It is so funny to grow old and to and to and to talk to young people 
uh, and to and, acknowledge they're, they're, th- that they're younger than you well, and that they've and, had and, different experiences. And also, you know, and it, it's wonderful to both note the similarities and the dissimilarities, the differences, uh, you know, in growing up, you know, 20 some years apart. And to sort of reflect back on when I was in my 20s and how there were people my age now, mm-hmm. in 40-something, some of whom were were respectful and really interested and really wanted to Yeah, tell me more about the learn, magazines you read. You know, yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and some who were just basically like, Why don't you listen to my... garbage. Yeah, you should read this magazine what's up only. With this, what's up with this rap noise? <laughs> I only like real music like Led Zeppelin. Was that a thing? It was a thing. It oh was a my real, goodness! Those people were real friends. I really heard about. I I've heard about it even even in the even yeah, in I the know. last couple of, of months. Still, I've heard it from people who are more or less my age. So it is still a thing. But you know, it's wonderful to hear that young people are still into music, right? And and some really love still their vinyl and their CDs. You know, and it it's not ever going to be everybody, and that's yeah. okay. We radio survivors, we kind of understand that 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 our our passion here, this is niche. That the right. that the, the, the the passion that defines us all, and why we do this website, why we do this radio show, why you're probably listening to us, you radio anoraks, um, that it that this 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 is not you know going to be mainstream. But I think if there's something we've learned in the last twenty some years, especially with the proliferation of internet and being able to communicate more effectively with people who share our interests is that there are nerd niches everywhere and it's wonderful to be able to connect up and it's wonderful to, to have a podcast like this and to connect with all of you and to send it out to all these different radio stations. It would have been so difficult to do 20 years ago. Yeah. And, uh, and to just learn that, you know, that, uh, a love of music and a love of sound goes on and it, it spans and cuts across generations and is just, a wonderful thing. Just stop writing these giant think pieces that declare one thing dead. <laughs> just stop it. Yes. Editors, quit making these assignments. <laughs> the, we do not need to dance on the grave of CDs and mini discs in order to make ourselves feel better about our uh, Spotify accounts that are ever dwindling away. I'm going to, I am writing the Spotify is dead think piece <laughs> right now in my, even, even as I renew my Spotify membership. Well, if you have anything to say about, there's a lot here in this week's show. So we'd love to hear from you. Drop us a line, podcast at radiosurvivor.com. This episode and all the show notes will have some links about some of the things we talked about here today are at the website, radiosurvivor.com. This is yeah. episode number 179. If, if you didn't check it out, please go listen to the Irish Pirate Radio One, episode. Episode of, number one. Of Radio Survivor. 78. It, it just, it just, it just, uh, there was just a whole landscape of radio survivor concepts, ideas, themes, and 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 like what what why radio exists, what it is, and what it means to people. It the all, love is global. Yeah, and it all was there in that one conversation. And not to mention uh, just how much I I'll, I'll never get tired of talking about radio archives. I just and, love that. And next week we look forward to to celebrating World Radio Day. That's right. So we will definitely make a spotlight of that on our next episode to make sure you hear it. If you're listening on the radio, tune back, same time, same channel. If you can't make it there, we're online, radiosurvivor.com. We're in all of your favorite podcast apps, whether it's Radio Public, we're available on Spotify, Stitcher, or Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, tune in, wherever you want to listen, we're there. So please, 
subscribe, which does not require any money transaction, despite the name. <laughs> despite it being called subscription, it's it's completely sans cost. Subscribe, if you will, so you'll never miss an episode. Thank you for spending another hour with us. See you next week. Matthew Lassar here with Lassar's Radio Letter for the Radio Survivor Podcast. In this episode, I want to talk about pirate radio or unlicensed radio, if you will, in London. The United Kingdom is so famous for its pirate radio stations that Hollywood made a movie about one, Pirate Radio, about Radio Caroline with the late, great Philip Seymour Hoffman that celebrated that great radio station's still broadcasting to this day, heyday, in the 1960s. But as always, the government of the United Kingdom greatly uh, disapproves of these unlicensed signals then and now, and has, according to a newspaper report just came out, shut 400 of them down recently. The London Evening Standard did a Freedom of Information Act request of Ofcom, uh, which is the United Kingdom's broadcast regulator like our Federal Communications Commission. And Ofcom delivered them a whole bunch of statistics and lists of who they cracked down on. And the standard says that a quarter of the crackdowns, of these 400 crackdowns over the last two years, took place in and around the borough of Haringey, North London. And 50 further raids focused on what the newspaper article calls suspected pirates, that's a quote, in Lambeth, South London. And apparently when Afghan goes in, they go in. The standard says they've seized in their in their crackdowns on these radio stations, they seized 90% of all the equipment from these stations. And an Afghan official gave the newspaper, the standard, an interesting quote, said there are about... 70 active stations still in the London area and maybe about 100 more around the rest of the country. And then he said, and I quote, from the inquiries we've carried out, this problem doesn't exist in New York or Rome or Paris. It's a London phenomenon, unique to London, or at least it's unique to London when you compare it to New York or Rome or Paris, hardly representative of the big cities of the world but some of them. So I posted this on Radio Survivor, and James Cridland, who is a writer, widely read writer on radio, and he describes himself as a, as a futurologist of radio, and he responded, he made a little comment about my post. He said, and I quote, I have a suspicion that the pirate radio stations here are partially why radio listeners, in London at least, are now mostly using digital at home, DAB, Internet DTV, which is where we listen to radio most in the UK. I find my FM listening being badly interrupted by pirate radio on the way to the supermarket in the car. I live in Enfield, uh, just north of Harringay. Enfield is the uppermost borough of London because it's on the top of any map of London's boroughs. It, It calls itself the top borough of London which is kind of cute. DAB, that's Digital Audio Broadcasting, United Kingdom's Digital Broadcast Radio. The, the question is, you know, why all this unlicensed radio in these two places, the boroughs of Lambeth and Haringey, 
Well, I don't know. And I'm sure that there are a lot of reasons. But I can act like a sociologist and I can collect data. I went to a very interesting website to see what I could find. It's called the London Poverty Profile website. It's got profiles of all the major, of all the boroughs of London. And what we find when we look at these two pirate radio-rich London boroughs is that they are hotbeds of economic inequality. They are full of poor people who are very young, and they're very ethnically diverse. So here I'm looking at the London Poverty Profile website, and here's what it says. Haringey, and I quote, the most unequal borough in London, with over half of its wards being either very rich or very poor. It's Northumberland Park area is, and I quote, the most widely deprived ward in London. And Haringey is, quote, notable for its ethnic diversity, um, over 7% Caribbean, over 9% from Africa, many Turkish people, Chinese people from Pakistan or um, descended from um, Pakistan immigrants. Then there's Lambeth. Almost 25% of its population is black African or black Caribbean with a, and I quote, extremely young profile. Both of these boroughs have some of the highest teen pregnancy rates in London. No value judgment here from me. I'm not getting into that. It's just an indicator of how young the population is. It sounds like these people are very young, diverse, unequal. They've got a lot to talk about. Ofgom has an advisory page against unlicensed radio. And the document says, and I quote, there is a way you can take to the airwaves without breaking the law. There are now over 200 community radio stations broadcasting in locations across the UK. And I have to say, having read that quote, that indeed Ofcom is doing a great job with community radio, licensing them all over the place. At Radio Survivor, we follow all of their licensing um, announcements. Uh, back in 2013, Ofcom issued a report one new radio station, community radio station, being licensed every 13 days. Yes, way. Every 13 days. But I'm looking at this map of all these community radio stations, and only 10 of those broadcast to Greater London. And none of them appear to be specific to Lambeth or Haringey. The Tower Hamlets borough has a community radio station called Betar Bangla, and Inner London has Rinse FM, which I think is called the Voice of Young London. But what about these two pirate radio rich counties? So at the risk of sounding ungrateful, maybe London needs even more legal community radio stations. Just a thought. This is Matthew Lassar with Lassar's Radio Letter for the Radio Survivor blog. Thank you for listening and thank you for considering my words. <laughs>